people of color are no longer going to be okay with the status quo. That is the truth. That is a fact. Um, there are still folks who are afraid, who want to say something and won't say something because they're afraid of not, they're afraid of the ramifications and rightly so. And, but I think that there's enough people who are so fed up that they're not going to go back to status quo. That if we're back in these rooms and like stuff is happening, it won't be, it won't be tolerated. You know, so I know it seems to everybody like things aren't good enough and they are not, they definitely are not. But for me, it's about the, the, the act of saying, identifying what is wrong and then having the impulse and the, the courage to speak on it. Episode 10. Welcome to the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast, a podcast for activists, advocates, and allies working to make our communities equitable through artistry. Each episode, I am joined in conversation by an artist or arts facilitator who has been paving the way in hopes of learning from their expertise and experience. Through action and unity, we can create a better tomorrow today. Let's go. Hello, Curious Listener. We are so excited to be welcoming Diane Phelan into today's final episode of Season 1 in our Season 1 finale episode. Um, we, I, I just want to say on a personal note, I have known Diane for a couple of years now. We crossed paths um, a few years back, and it has been such um, an honor to see how much um, positivity she has put, uh, worked into the theater community um, and what she has created, and I'm so excited to dive into that. Um, so without further ado, let me introduce Diane. Diane Phelan is an actor, director, and activist based in New York City. She is the founder of the hashtag Racism is a Virus campaign and hashtag Unapologetically Asian, both aimed to activate and empower Asian Americans and redefine what it means to be American right now. Both orgs have been featured in the New York Times, Reuters, Asia Journal, and Next Shark. She has performed in lead roles on Broadway, as well as national and international productions, most notably in School of Rock, West Side Story, and The King and I. She is the founder of the Broadway Diversity Project. You can catch her starring in the new film, Mary Harry, currently streaming on AmazonPrimeVideo.com. Follow her on Instagram at Dianica Phelan. Welcome, Diane, and thank you so much for joining us for the season one finale episode. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, I, it was such a pleasure to get to um, set up this conversation um, and allow this to be the one that rings into the summer as we take um, a hiatus before season two. I'm honored. Mm. Well, thank you for being here. Um, let us dive right in with some of the core questions that our podcast seeks to unpack. Um, first, and perhaps most central, um, is what is your own personal definition of the word anti-racism or, and, or anti-racist, and how does anti-racism factor into your own artistry? Anti-racism for me means um, actively battling against the systems of racism built into this country in America currently right now. Um, it's different, you know, it's similar to different places in the world as, as well. But for me, I'm, I'm really focused on what's happening here in America. It's also the source of where I want to 
create my work. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious about the conversation of what it means to be American. Um, and this has led us all, I think in this period of time down a rabbit hole of how deeply this country is founded on the principles of the system known as white supremacy. Mm, yes, um, that's a great definition. And I think um, is obviously has a very long history and legacy, but now we're even seeing that uh, manifest hundreds of years after the inception of America. And so interesting that you are um, focusing in on anti-racism through an American lens and what that means specifically. So thank you for speaking that. Um, does artistry have an inherent social responsibility? And if so, what is that responsibility and to whom? This is a good question. Um, I have been, in my education, I was kind of brought up, so to speak, to think of it that way. I went to school in New York, at NYU, and that is where a lot of you know, my basis of education came from. Um, a lot of my teachers were um, artists that were working, doing political theater in New York. And it's a really exciting th thing to think about. It's something I hadn't ever thought previous to studying this at university. Um, and my opinion of that has changed. I don't think everything needs to be looked at through a political lens. However, I do believe that whenever you create a piece of work, you have to ask yourself the question, why this, why now, who's it for? As you know, we talked a lot about with Jen Waldman, who's it for, what's it for, right? And this is, um, you know, a lot of times art is simply meant to reflect humanity or it's meant to bring joy, or it's meant to connect, you know, it doesn't necessarily always have to have an, um, an outright political message, but I think anything that uplifts humanity in any way is about, you know, it, it does have macrocosmic ramifications, even if, if you're looking at something, um, a film, a short film about who, who you are, how, how you deal with your family, but if it's through an Asian lens and if it's being told now, it's gonna have inherently political ramifications. So um, yeah, I don't think it's necessary for artists to think of themselves, oh, I'm, I'm here, I have to create po political work. Just know that your stories, if it's, if it's relevant and you're asking yourself the right questions of why you're making this now, will, uh, will have an impact, an impact that is not just for humans, but will be partaking in the conversation for, for the people you are making this art for. Mm. I want to pull a thread in something you said reminded me of our episode two with Amara Brady, something that she said, uh, perhaps even in response to this exact question, um, but that let alone her identity as um, a black woman theater maker um, inherently has political meaning, even when um, it's not necessarily intended that way. Um, and what you just said reminded me of that um, and the different lenses of what political means, what socially responsible means, what um, what all those terms mean in the context of the lens that we view the work in our context of, like you said, America, specifically the way that you're as an artist and art facilitator looking through that. Um, so thank you for bringing that up and having a full circle moment back to the beginning of our season. I love that. Uh, you you talked a little bit about this and um, talking about 
going to NYU and experiencing some of this revelation with your teachers and their work, but um, is there anything else that inspired you to use your platform as an artist and arts facilitator um, to address social injustices? And what were some of your first attempts at realizing art as activism? Well, uh, you know, I'm thinking immediately of the work I started doing with my friend, Alex Chester. Um, she has a theater company called We So Hapa, and it's specifically talking about, uh, you know, she was really intent on producing work that talked about what it's like to be mixed race in America. And it, it was such a natural fit for me to want to work with her because as a mixed race person, I feel there was a lot of conversation at the time about presentation versus representation in on Broadway and and the community and, and the performing arts community and 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 what that means and that conversation has since changed and my opinions about what that what that actually means has changed but um, we started feeling like that our voices could be a bridge for kind of you know two sides of a perspective. Uh, you know, we started creating this like after 45's election and the works we created were titled things like Songs of Otherness, where we, and we actually got a grant from Equity to produce a concert at Symphony Hall with Equity actors. And it was, it was them singing a cabaret song, but also giving a monologue about, about their experience as someone who is mixed race in America. Um, so that was that was some of the first stuff that I felt really excited to do that I felt like oh this is this is important to talk about right now because we had a president at the time that was bringing out a you know it was it was bringing out all the all the kind of white supremacist ideas and ideals in this country and it, it felt like our voices were really needed um Previous to that, I had the wonderful opportunity to do a, a show called Where Elephants Weep in Cambodia. Um, it was a mix of North American uh, theater artists and Cambodian um, premier artists there. Um, and it was a bilingual piece and it was the first large scale production that had been done since the, since the genocide. Um, and it was, uh, it was meant to refurbish the arts there and to kind of bring a lot of the artists out of hiding because, um, I guess 40 plus odd years now, uh, you know, all the artists were targeted and killed in that genocide. So it, I had seen firsthand how the use of speaking about a country's experience could heal a country um, could help heal a country and help them come together and move forward. And like, since then, the, the art scene there had, had exploded. Uh, and this was in, this was in 2008. And so that was something that I was, it really shook me. I, I didn't know that theater and art could do that. I had never seen that. And, and like on, on a national scale of something that was so big, you know, it was really exciting. And I didn't know how to come back and just not, you know, not think about things through that lens after that. It really shook me. Mm. Um, I'm really excited to dig into that production and try to do some 
uh, research because that sounds like an amazing, really uh, an, an amazing moment. It was and... special. It was really special. There's talk of maybe somehow getting it streamed here. I won't blow up any details, but there, I just <laughs> I just recently heard from the the writer Katrine Pilou who said that there might be a possibility they're going to try to stream something here, which would be amazing. It was such a it was such an amazing point in time. It was it was a really special production. Wow. Thank you for sharing about that. Um, I'd love to move into a section that I'm, in my own mind, titling uh, Visions for Progress and talking about forward uh, thinking, forward looking. Um, on your acting resume, you lead with the statement, quote, let's create art that redefines what America looks like, end quote. I'd first like to uplift um, the power and possibility of artists utilizing space on their resumes and bios to speak their mission statements, whys, et cetera, like you have, and what a powerful example of that on yours. Um, I would love to lead into our conversation with unpacking this phenomenal statement. Um, implicit in this statement is that there is a way that America looks like now and that there is a way, a new way that America can look like. Can you define both of those, especially what your vision for what a redefined America looks like and what that means to you when you say that statement? Thank you. And thank you for highlighting that. I really appreciate that. And big shout out to Jen Waldman uh, for that, that inspiration. You know, I, at one point I had been hearing a lot of the conversation about what people thought American looked like. And as an Asian person, um, part of a community who, who has historically been erased and othered throughout our entire time here, um, when has, as America has been a country since, you know, uh, this has been happening legislatively since the 1800s. I felt it was a ridiculous thing to think like, well, of course you're American. First of all, you hold a passport. You, you're an American citizen, so that you are what American looks like. Um, the fact that people don't want to, uh, don't seem to have in the past identified this as a fact is was something that I really wanted to blow up, really, because of the ramif. There's so many ramifications about that, and this is before you know. This I created that idea for myself, that line for myself before this thing is going on with, you know, before the quarantine, before the rise in AAPI hate, before George Floyd, before, you know, this was, this is my idea about like, okay, this is, this is this underlying bubbling thing that's happening. And I've experienced this on, you know, auditioning for, for things on Broadway and about how like, oh, I'm just not in the running for things because I look like someone's servant. I, I'm, I, I'm always peripheral to like, I don't, I don't get to be this, the person that the story is about and people that look like me don't get to be what the story is about when we're all kind of walking around being like, oh, we're humans. We have full lives. We are American. We're, we're partaking in this day-to-day -day life with all of you. And yet somehow there's this erasure of it. Um, you know, and I, I, I was really feeling frustrated with that. And that's why I started Broadway Diversity Project, which was just simply a platform on, on Facebook to, and, and Instagram to highlight and spread the news of when someone in the industry dared to create an out-of-the-box casting choice. So the idea was to call out and, and celebrate 
the directors, the casting agents, the, the casting directors, the, 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 the theater companies that were like, oh, you did a, a production of Anything Goes with a black um, Reno Sweeney and then an Asian Hope Harcourt. Wow, that's really great, you know? Um, let's see more of that. And the idea was to say, hey, let's normalize this because for some reason it's not normalized. And if it's gonna be a chicken and egg thing, if we're, if we're not seeing it as something real, we're gonna be like, oh, you're not, you're not actually American. Only certain people are American. And, you know, just, I think it's important to drop back into this conversation we are a country built on immigrants, colonizers really. <laughs> the first ones were colonizers. And, and this is, we all come here for the same reason. Every, every generation of immigrants who have been hazed and then turned white, uh, right? Because this idea that Protestant, uh, uh, Italians, Polish, um, Irish people were not considered white in America until time went on and all of a sudden they were part of the fabric of who is now deemed American, right? So it's like, we all have come here each generation to, to, to in the hope of um, building more than we had. And now this country, you know, every, the, the, who've claimed themselves as the majority in this country are saying, oh no, we got to haze the crap out of you first. It's like, it's like high school mean girls. It's like, it's, you know, it's, we're, you know, that's what we're founded on by, by high school mean girls. It, it's, it's, uh, and that's a nice way of putting it. Right. So it was important for me to really stake my claim and, and, and using my voice and speech to say to anybody who would listen, Hey, this is not the norm. Let's redefine what we thought was the norm. And, and create a new vision for ourselves because we're stuck in something that isn't actually based on reality. Mm. So good. And you said a sentence and I'm going to butcher it now, uh, but something along the lines of um, the fabric of who we define as American. Um, that, that was so, that's so powerful. Um, and this entire idea, um, you know, I asked you the question of, defining America, what it looks like now versus what it can look like and taking us through this history of a centralization of whiteness, of heteronormativity, of cisgender, of able-bodied, a very specific um, center of a bullseye that is the case system that we try to um, get closer towards. And if we're not at the center of the bullseye, what is our proximity to that? But rather than playing on that bullseye, I'm going to go with this metaphor, rather than playing darts towards that um, bullseye, just blow the whole damn thing up and like redefine um, what, what the game is, what the, what the process is. Um, and of course, that entire bullseye is incredibly <laughs> harmful. Um, and the the center of what so much of our problems are. So thank you for speaking that in such a much more eloquent way than I just tried to. I thought that, that was song. very eloquent, though, Taylor. That was really, I thought that was quite succinct, and I loved your use of words there. We will jump right back in the conversation in just a moment. I am excited to invite you to join the conversation with us on Instagram and Facebook. We are posting sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, some powerful quotes, and announcing workshop and engagement opportunities specifically for this community. 
We are on Instagram at antiracistartist and on facebook.com slash AAP community. We look forward to having you join the conversation. I would love to talk about cultures of change. Right now we're positioned in a, uh, in a movement where there is a possibility for change through accountability. Um, perhaps one of the most heightened moments to do so um, with the work of organizations, people, and movements such as yours have brought to the forefront. And still, holding that, <laughs> there are so many reasons to be skeptical of meaningful change coming to pass as we see reportings of violence and harm. Um, we hear stories um, of folks like Scott Rudin who are perpetrating this, um, coming out to deafening silence. Hey there, curious listener. I just wanted to jump in and contextualize what I mean here. There was a story in The Hollywood Reporter that came out about Scott Rudin's abuse of power um, and harm that he has caused on many of the people he has worked with. We will link that article in the show notes if you'd like to learn more. All right, back to the conversation. To the many grievances about and problems within our unions that are being reported and um, to be failing its artists. So... um, I know that these are going to be big questions, so feel free to take them however you wish. Do you hold hope for meaningful change to come out of this past year? And if so, what do you see as the necessary measures to achieving more than empty statements? I definitely think that something is happening. I think that people are indeed going to try to go back to the way things were. I think many people in the the industry are afraid just for their livelihood um, across you know, the, 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 the different kinds of creatives um, from producers to actors, stagehands, um, writers, everybody, and, and all across all co- colors, we're every, and we're all, I think we're all just concerned about how we're going to come back, right? That's first and foremost. But I, I think people are using that fear to kind of like, it seems that people are using that fear to kind of sidestep the work that we've already been doing um and i hope that they will you know people will still hold these these instances accountable uh because and yeah i'm 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 creating my thoughts on my feet right now as you can see so bear with me if it feels a little nonlinear um i also i also believe that the seed of change has happened in the people it needs to happen in, in that their people of color are no longer going to be okay with the status quo. That is the truth. That is a fact. Um, there are still folks who are afraid, who want to say something and won't say something because they're afraid of not, they're afraid of the ramifications and rightly so. And but I think that there's enough people who are so fed up that they're not going to go back to status quo, that if we're back in these rooms and like stuff is happening, it won't be, it won't be tolerated, you know? So I know it seems to everybody like things aren't good enough and they are not, they definitely are not. But for me, and this was what racism is a virus was about, you know, it's about the seed of saying something, it's like if you see something, say something, right? That very, very New York thing. Like it's about the 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 act of saying, identifying what is wrong, and then having the impulse and the the courage to speak on it. So racism is a virus 
was there for a very specific purpose and a specific time to empower the Asian American community to speak up about the, about the anti-Asian crimes happening to them. This isn't gonna, it doesn't, nobody else speaking up for us is gonna do anything. Yes, we need allies. Yes, we need legislative, legislative change. Yes, we need um, to, to have the rest of the country standing with us and understanding this same thing with the black community, the black lives matter, you know, like, but it all has, it all starts with us first saying, Hey, no, you can't do that to us. This is not okay. These are my boundaries. I'm not going to allow this. And for some of us for a while, it might just look, be looking like walking away. I mean, that's what it is for me. I feel like if the very, at the very least, I'm not going to be you know, contributing to if, if I'm in a room or if I'm getting, you know, if I'm getting an offer that I don't think is respectful of me, if, or if I'm in a room and people are trying to do something I don't agree with, I will, I will walk. Like I literally do not care anymore. It will kill me to stay in that room versus say something. Um, so that's kind of, for me, it's always, it's starting with very foundational stuff. Um, I think it's happening. I'm excited that it's happening. And from this foundation of us saying, hey, something's wrong, we need to do something about it, people are gonna be doing things. You know, I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing so many people's voices and hearts ignited. And you know, there's a march, I think, this weekend. That's exciting. You know, I'm kind of I'm just curious, but I, you know, I don't need to know, like, oh, are you doing, you know, people are like, people want to, people want to jump all the way to. Well, what's it, what exactly are we doing to make change? And is this gonna matter? You know, everything matters. Everything is on a, a continuum. There's a, there, is a, there are steps to be taken. And if this, is a, if this March this weekend is about folks realizing that there are numbers coming together, that there are, oh, this is what it feels like to use my voice in this way for the first time. To actually, oh wait, I'm pissed, I'm angry. I didn't realize I was angry before. I didn't know I was allowed to be angry. Those are all very, you know, very foundational beginning places that we need to give ourselves room for, space for, because you can't jump all the way to making change, lasting change, if you don't believe it in your heart. We know this is artists. Like, no one's responding to a piece of art that we don't believe. So it's always like, it's that start with why, right? Nothing sticks until it's coming from an energy center that is rooted solid and and is held together by deep belief you know if it's if th it's the same thing if if we don't this is just us practicing our voice right so i just want to give um a major shout out to everyone who's discovering their voice who is figuring out how to speak up you don't have to know where it's going eventually yeah we'll figure it out it, it's going to be it's going to be you, you won't be able to avoid it because you'll know what the next steps are. If you take the steps that need to be taken, you will know what the next step is. But if you try to jump, that's when things get a little confusing, I think, when people are like, oh, I should be doing this, but I don't feel like I can. I'm going to maybe sit with this one. You know, it's like, just take this at your own pace. Say, figure out, do what you can, and then you'll know the next step because it, it's, it's undeniable. It's, it, there's going to be a tipping point. There, it, there's already a tipping point happening. Mm. You use such um, evocative language that makes me want to pull on many things, but I, I want to start with a couple. Okay. Um, first is this idea of the practice of using your voice. 
Um, and I, that's a concept that I was introduced to um, this year in a book by Seth Godin titled The Practice. Um, and this idea of um, constantly showing up to the work and the practice being something that you have to um, commit to. It's not something like you said, where you're magically going to jump from point A to point Z. You have to um, fall in love or at least become enamored by the practice to continue showing up and to continue making progress. It's not something, and it, it, it may not be linear. It may not be A to B to C to D all the way to Z, but you know, um, finding, finding solace in showing up for a practice. Um, and I love that you use that in practice using your voice. W- what a brilliant combination of, of terms there. Um, another thing that I want to pull a theme through, and I've brought this up in a couple episodes, um, is back in the summer of 2020, uh, Sherilyn Eiffel, who's um, the leader of the NAACP's Legal Defense Fund, gave a town hall conversation with Audra McDonald for um, uh, Black Theater United. Um, it was their inaugural one. And she mentioned this need to get some sort of concrete um, commitment from folks in power that there is going to be meaningful change from this moment because the heat, the, the dial on the oven is turned up, the heat is really high, um, and instead of allowing that to fizzle away to get some sort of concrete um, a statement, uh, more than a statement, obviously, commitment to action is what I mean yeah. to say. Um, and then the beginnings of that action. And I think what you brought up about the, um, the march um, that is happening uh, in a few days or by the time you curious listener have listened to this, it might have already happened, but um, is there are some very specific demands. Their first demand, uh, or our first demand, it's a collective um, movement, is uh, for Scott Rudin to be put on the do not work list um, for Actors' Equity Association. Um, and I th- I, I'm i so interested to see how such a specific demand, which I don't think we've seen um too too many of uh, there's been a few other ones but uh, big collective demands such as that how that is going to play out um, and I will certainly be keeping an eye on on that to see how that um, takes place um, I, I also want to return to something that you said um, of how we are in this time where we're conscious of the fact that we're about to be returning to something um, and you talked about um, knowing when to step away and when to say no this isn't uh, this doesn't feel right I don't want to put my energy here um, but in that idea of returning to a sense of quote normalcy which of course what is normal but um, I'm using that word nevertheless what are you willing to accept as returning to normal and what what are some of those things if you can articulate them that you just simply are not and are those I'm going to walk away things I am and have been thoroughly exhausted by the fight of being a person of color trying to eke out a living in broad, on Broadway in musical theater. I am thoroughly and completely exhausted. And I quite honestly am just going to be saying no as much as possible, unless it's something that really feeds me. And I just wanna say that this is speaking as somebody who's had um, privilege to work and as someone who presents mixed race 
um, I recognize that privilege. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of my Asian siblings, uh, very, uh, like East Asian, South Asian, Southeast Asian presenting siblings have had an even tougher time in our community getting work and they are incredibly talented human beings, um, worthy of the honor of telling stories. I am just really tired. So it's, it's actually more that I um, am using my time and energy to work on going to the other side of the table so that I can help make the changes that I've been asking for. Um, I still love performing. I still wanna perform, but I'm just exhausted by it all. Uh, I don't, to the point of apathy almost, <laughs> to the point of this like apathy that is not true apathy, it's probably actually sadness um, and anger, but the exhaustion of it all. And I'm happy to see that there are so many other voices talking about the lack of representation on Broadway and beyond. So that, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like I've been fighting. I feel like I've been fighting and the same thing as well with talking about um, racial justice. Now that there has been, it's starting to have a critical mass of people talking about it. I'm just like, okay, y'all here, take the baton. I'm just gonna go and just take a writing class or take a class, you know, <laughs> or just, just take care of myself now because the fight has, I could cry right now. The, the fight has been so long and it's starting to feel like people are talking that it's such a relief that people are talking now because I know that once we start talking, you can never go back to before as we, <laughs> the song we love, right? Uh, just to throw that nerdy reference in there. <laughs> so normal is, I don't think it'll be normal ever again. What's gonna be, what is, what I'm hoping will be normal that what we're looking forward to going back is us being in rooms together again and being inspired by each other and having the camaraderie and, and the lifting of humanity in storytelling and raising our voices together and um, and in being in a Broadway theater where we're just overwhelmed by the amazingness of it all. You know, that's what I'm looking forward to, us being all together again and the, the things that were so right about Broadway and theater and the community. Those are the things that I want to see, obviously, come back. Um, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm, I'm wary about, okay, who's, who's gonna be in what rooms? Who's gonna be allowed to be in what rooms? Okay, this again, okay, I'm done. Like I'm not, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a hard thing like to not lose your love for what was so wonderful, what has been so wonderful about Broadway and theater and community and also being like, well, I've been erased and, and our community has been erased. I have had privilege of working and I wanna, I wanna honor and I wanna say that because this is a thing. I, I, I can imagine people hearing this be like, well, you know, you've done X, Y, and Z. I'm like, yes, I have. And even so at this level, I have felt completely erased. So I can only imagine how other people are feeling. Um, yeah.
I go back, I'm flipping back and forth right now between hopeful and, oh, <laughs> stop me. Get me out of the cycle right now. <laughs> the spin cycle. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you. I, I really hear you in saying that it's incredibly tiring and like it's so much emotional labor to show up to this. So I want to extend um, a very sincere amount of gratitude for you showing up for our community for this podcast and talking about your experience too, because um, I'm very grateful. We're very grateful um, for you sharing your expertise that maybe that can plant one of those seeds that you're talking about um, into us listening um, and provide some inspiration on how we can grow that seed um, to create change like you have. So on that theme of creating change, um, I want to center in now on your artistry and how you've uh, manifested some of that in your artistry. So um, I would first like to revisit a question from one of our community members, um, which we discussed back in episode six. Um, Our community member writes, quote, I am personally hoping to hear from more people working within the theater industry just to reveal the harsh realities of being an Asian actor and what they had to battle to get to where they are today, especially enduring being in, quote, Asian-centric, end quote, shows that actually put down Asian characters and often praise the white characters, and so often being put in a box of stereotypes and never being considered for the lead, which I think you've uh, begun to discuss a lot um, in the spaces Um, that you alluded to of being allowed and not allowed. But um, I open that question up if you'd like to respond to that as well. Well, that's, you know, there's so much within that question, you know, everything that's being asked, that is, that is oftentimes the experience of being an Asian, an Asian American actor in on Broadway, or attempting to be on Broadway, you know, it is about um, the fight to have people see you as you know this is this has been kind of the thing that's that's go, that goes around the community talking about it. you can't just be as good as a white person you can't just you can't just belt your face off or or sing to the rafters you can't be as good you have to blow them out of the water for them to consider you you have to be um you have to be everything. You have to be a, 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 like a walking dream. Um, you have to be so extraordinary that you spend your time, that that's what you spend your time trying to attain, you know? Um, and this is, you know, unless a theater is looking to do some sort of a, oh, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this like stunt casting. And then you know that's what they're doing. So then you're like, okay, fine, you know, I'll take it. Like, I know then that the pool is smaller and this is exactly what they're looking for. And then you're kind of grossed out when you're like, okay, they didn't actually want to go Asian. So they're going half Asian. So it's like the three mixed race Asian sopranos in this room. And, you know, it, it's just, it's such a, it messes with your mind. And um, it, it's, it's been a reality. Um, and Asians are still, because our community is thought of as othered and as, you know, quiet, different. They, they, it's, we are not imagined as the leads in the story, unless it's a, unless it's a, unless they have to cast somebody in like a King and I or a, a Miss Saigon. And that's when you have this. And then even then when you have non 
BIPOC directors doing these kinds of things, as wonderful as these human beings may be, and as amazing artists as they may be, it can create an absolutely triggering and traumatizing experience. Um, because our community, the, the main wound, so to speak, is about um, erasure. Uh, so that it's about our existence is not important, um, which is a different kind of violence in the black community and the Native American community and, and the Latin, Latin community experiences. You know, it, it's traumatizing when you have um, non-BIPOC creative teams not realizing what they're doing in a room to create more erasure. Um, and no matter how wonderful you can be as a human being or as, as an ally, it will happen and it's happened to me. I went through a very, very deeply um, confusing uh, artistic injury because I did not have the tools or the language to even talk about what I was going through. And, um, and I'm just starting to talk about it now and I'm getting a lot of pushback from people who don't want me to talk about it because our community is scared. We're scared that no one's gonna work again or we're scared about the allyships we've had made. And, and the thing is at the end of the day, we need to be able to call it out and say, well, this was my experience. This is real, this is what happened. And it's, I'm not gonna speak for the entire community but there are, there are more, of it that, more of us that continue to feel erased by cer certain experiences than those who haven't. So this goes back to the point of change needing to happen and why my desire to work to be on the other side of the table is, is me kind of like trying to walk the walk because at the end of the day, nothing changes if we continue to have all white creative teams telling BIPOC stories. You know, um, I just also want to say on that note, um, on, on another hand, I had, this is not saying, oh, you can never have white directors do anything. I never would want to invalidate anybody's experience because there are so many incredible directors of every color out there or, or choreographers, producers of every color who, whose hearts really are in the right place. Um, I had just done recently, I spent time working on something called um, I'm just gonna leave names out of this right now, but um, a wonderful project in which we had a um, Caucasian director um, of Jewish descent. And uh, is that even the right way to talk about it? That person was Jewish. So I know it's, they don't identify as I'm um, a white person. I wanted to honor that, but you know, our, our writer uh, is a person of color and I can't imagine a, a better director for that, for that project. He was just, he was just so wonderful. And I think also maybe because the material was written, like there was at least another person of color so that it was a, a, it really was a collaborative process and we felt heard, we felt seen and we felt safe and um, honored and, and affirmed, heard. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, we have to look at things with, I don't want to say grains of salt, but it's not everything is black and white or, you know, there's so many gray things. I'm not, I'm not saying one thing and meaning only one thing, but yes, being an Asian American actor and the stuff we have to go through is really has, has been, um, has been 
one of those very intense uphill climbs and it's, it's caustic. It has been caustic. We will be taking a break for the summer and we'll be coming back stronger than ever in the fall. Stay connected with us on Instagram at antiracistartists for all the news on season two. Lastly, we would absolutely love to hear from you. Whether this is your first time listening or you listen to every episode on release day and are at all of our community events, it would mean the world to us to hear how this first season of episodes, workshops, and community has impacted you and where you would like to see it grow in the coming season. You can email us at antiracistartist at gmail.com, DM us on Instagram at antiracistartist, or even set up a call with us. We have created this community as a space of, by, and for those of us in this fight towards equity and liberation for all through the arts, and we are so grateful that you have chosen to show up with us. On behalf of Andrew, Mari, myself, and the entire Anti-Racist Artist podcast community, thank you. In this last part of our conversation, I would love to further focus in on the activism work that you've been leading. Through campaigns that you have founded, including hashtag racism is a virus and hashtag unapologetically Asian, you have been so effective in raising awareness and, as your mission statement describes, creating, quote, a campaign centered to empower Asian Americans and allies to rise up against violence and xenophobia, end quote. One of the impactful areas you are raising awareness around is that these atrocious acts of racism and violence against Asian Americans and Asian people um, in America is anything but new, and in fact has a quite solidly embedded um, history into the fabric of America. Uh, how, what are some of the ways that you are currently seeing history repeat itself in this time we are in, and how might awareness combat the cyclical nature of that oppression? And do you see art as being part of the solution in breaking the cycle of oppression? And if so, how? Okay, I'm going to work backwards. Mm-hmm. I think that art can indeed be part of breaking the cycle, because as we always say, if you can see it, you can believe it. So it's about it's about using actors of color in your productions. It's about giving, giving space to um, stories, POC stories. So that's, that's one thing, you know. Um, if you see it, then you'll, you can believe it, then it'll be, it'll be normalized. <sighs> what were the other questions? <laughs> <laughs> Going backwards. Um, going into the idea of how we're seeing history repeat itself um, and how that's showing up in our time. Yes, I think what's happening is, what I'm seeing happening is that there has been an erasure of POC history from history books so that people aren't, you know, people aren't realizing that, well, okay, for the Asian community, people don't realize that, first of all, Asians have been in the Americas since before the United States was a country. So when people say, go back to where you came from, uh, no, we've been here really, really long. And we have also not, not only been here, but we've contributed to this country. Asian Americans built America. Chinese people built the railroads, the, the, the invention that, created that America built her wealth on. We were part of the fabric of creating this country. And there has been xenophobia that has repeated itself because we didn't learn from the fact that it was such a horrible thing that happened in the 1800s. The Chinese Expulsion Acts, one of the largest lynchings of a group of humans happened to Chinese Americans. 
people aren't realizing that the Japanese internment was a work camp. It was a concentration camp. I know people have a hard time with that word because we don't want to be comparing this to the Holocaust, but it was not, a, it was not, they're not just internment camps. They were concentration camps for Japanese American citizens to be in. I learned about this by reading Snow Falling on Cedars. I didn't learn about this in my history books. So if people aren't aware of the history of who we are and how we came to be and who we're from, where we're from, people are gonna come, people are gonna come at the idea of, hey, you look different than what the narrative is. I, I'm gonna, you know, of course you don't belong. Of course, you know, no, this is you don't you don't understand the history. We've been here. This is a thing. So um I think it's a little bit about it's not a little bit it, like one of the main things that is going to help solve this is relooking at history in our schools for the black community. It was not until I saw Ava DuVernay's the 13th that I realized how much the entire country has been gaslit about the experience of being black in America and why it is the way it is. I was absolutely horrified, embarrassed, heartbroken. And, you know, and this is already coming from a place where I was already marching. I was already, you know, posting for BLM when most of my community was not. I saw this and I was like, oh my God, of course, this is the gaslighting. Of course, people think that, you know, for those who don't agree with the movement, First of all, shame on you if you're listening to this. Why are you even listening to this? Listen to this and learn something. But for those of you who, for those of the people who know people who are saying, oh yeah, but really are black people really, is this really happening? There's a reason why you have no idea because you know, what happened with Black Wall Street was completely suppressed. You know, at Jim Crow, completely suppressed. They, this is happening for a reason. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? It's important that we know each other's histories and stories so we don't, so we know each other. This is, this is repeating itself. We've been a country for a couple hundred years now and we're still acting like we don't know what happened to each other. So that's, that's what I see is a problem and we need to keep asking ourselves about the root. We need to side, ooh, excuse me. We need to sidestep, we need to sidestep our, you know, our, our, our deeply reactive emotions to what we think is happening and re-examine we, that we don't have the full story and we should, that we should search it out. Empathy, understanding instead of reaction, defensiveness. I'm guilty of this too. It's, we are all human, we all have reactive emotions and we will never get to the next place until we start coming from a place of curiosity, uh, empathy, and a true desire to realize that what, what's been, what we've been doing is not working. Mm. We don't have the full story and we could use some more empathy and curiosity. What an amazing posture that if we all adopted imagine the possibility that could come from that posture. Um, I would love to wrap up this final episode of season one with this final question, which I think in some ways pulls together much of what we've been collectively discussing through these episodes, workshops, and conversations. In your Untapped Storytellers interview from 2020, you said, quote, the place where activism comes from is the same energy center as it is for your art, end quote. What is that energy center and how do you nourish it 
to be able to continually show up and sustain both of those practices? That's a really good question. For me, that energy center is that deep desire to speak and to put something into the world. Uh, I'm not doing. I'm not doing well with this right now. I for me, I'm just gonna quite. I'm gonna stop trying to be cerebral about it. About it. It's really about a desire to speak. It's for truth to put truth into the world and. And how I nourish that is I really have to go inside. I journal a lot and I ask myself questions a lot and I listen to that thing in me, that thing that feels that's going, hey, you know, I'm uncomfortable. What is this? Um, I don't push her down. I say, hey, what's going on? You know, and I, I give her time and give her space and the tears and, and the anger um, have become good friends of mine and that I honor because they tell me what needs to be said. And then I say those things. Um, it, it's, about, it's about an act of listening and an act of empathy within myself as a human being to honor my human emotions. And when we create a piece of art, whether you're an actor or a writer or a singer, it's about excavating those human reactions in yourself and how you connect to what this other person the writer is saying or you know um or the the work that needs to be commissioned or or the thing that you need to paint you're like what is this about okay i have to excavate that inside myself and say what do i need to say here okay let me figure that out and and make it you know it's the same energy center it's the the impetus the impulse the seed is coming from the same place so um yeah it's it's a very satisfying practice to listen to one's impulses and spend some time with it. And there's an art to figuring out what needs to be said and how it can be said so people will respond to what needs to be said. Mm. What an amazing way to wrap up season one. Thank you for, thank you for elaborating on that quote that you gave in that interview i was so thanks transfixed by it <laughs> oh my gosh thanks for asking um, so each episode we invite our guests to choose an organization to uplift one that is creating a meaningful impact towards a more equitable inclusive accessible and anti-racist future um, diane would you like to share a little bit more about the organization you've selected and why you chose to uplift it Yes, I've, um, I'm hoping people will support uh, Stop AAPI Hate. They've been doing amazing work in, uh, in tallying the hate crimes so that there is an actual specific number that we can look to to say, hey, this is real. This is what is happening. Um, and they have also created a fund that they are distributing to all organizations that are needing help and who also have been on the ground doing the social justice work. And I believe that they're also distributing grants and funds to smaller micro places that are within the community giving out money as well. You know, um, so it's a really wonderful centralized place to, to support and get information from and donate. Mm, well, thank you. And on behalf of Diane, the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast has made a, a donation to their organization. You can donate as well, Curious Listener, and learn more about their work um, via the link in our show notes. Before we go, are there any other projects, organizations, or people you'd like to highlight as leaders in this work to follow? So many. Um, <laughs> so 
Over at Racism is a Virus, we have beneficiaries that we like to support and amplify. We sell shirts and 100% of our proceeds go to these beneficiaries. Right now, our beneficiaries are um, Asian American Legal Defense Fund and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. So we have a Patreon, we have shirts that we can that you can buy that 100% of the proceeds goes towards them, or you can go to them directly and look at the work that, do, that they do and that and donate to them directly as well. Mm. Thank you. Well, Diane, from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of the entire community, thank you so much for joining us today. What an amazing way, um, an inspirational way to wrap up season one. Uh, and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. The Anti-Racist Artist Podcast is produced by Subido Politico Productions, LLC, hosted by Taylor Ibarra, edited by Andrew Alcarez, and project and community managed by Maricela Juarez. To stay connected with the Anti-Racist Artist Podcast, please visit us at antiracistartist.com, on Instagram at antiracistartist, or via email at antiracistartist at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Our podcast is made possible with the support of folks like you. You can get exclusive content and access to the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash antiracistartist. Theme music features vocals by Esteban Suero, Forrest Van Dyke, Kennedy Kanagawa, Jameson, Minji Kim, 